Aloha, this is Jason from Hawaii. Welcome to a special edition of the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast. In this episode, I will be interviewing screenwriter, comic book writer, podcaster, Ryland Grant. Now, Ryland um, is a screenwriter by trade. For the last 15 years, he's been um, writing film and TV projects for the folks like J.J. Abrams, Scott um, Ridley Scott, Justin Lin, John Woo, I'm going to try to pronounce this director's name as best I can. Luke ben- Benson and F. Gary Gray. Um, I, and, he, and later on in the podcast, we're going to talk about his cool sci-fi um, movie that's going to be coming out um, sometime soon, starring Emil Hirsch um, later this year. And he's currently working on a TV show with, I'm going to try to pronounce the actor's name, Davey Diggs. He's from Hamilton, and he's um, the one of the lead actors in Snowpiercer. Is that correct? He's the lead, yeah. Okay, all right. Okay, and then his new um, comic, Suicide Jockeys, number one, is from Swords Point Press and is in stores right now. And um, Rylan, um, basically, you know, when this episode airs, it's going to probably come out probably within the next couple of weeks. So that's okay. why I said that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No um, Rylan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. No, thank you very much. And before I go into Ryland's history, I just want to say, you know, a big shout out to Ryland. Ryland, thank you very much for your patience. Um, you know, you know, usually I try to send my stuff out a couple of days before the interview. Um, I wasn't feeling too good. I've been emailing Ryland back and forth. Ryland has been very kind and generous. So, Ryan, thank you very much for your patience and understanding. Thank you very much. No, it's not needed at all. I'm I'm uh, I'm delighted when I receive anything from a uh, from an interviewer or a podcaster. Usually, it's just make a date, shoot from the hip. So uh, <laughs> you are you are uh, light years ahead of everyone else in terms of your preparation. So uh, so no apologies necessary. No, I, I have to I have to I, honestly I have to be prepared. If not, man, it's like it's going to go all over the place. So yeah, yeah. No, it's good. <laughs> thank no, you very much and appreciate well, it. Thank you. And then, um, okay, so Ryland's history. Now, you know, as I mentioned that, you know, Ryland is a screenwriter. Now, now Ryland's work has also included, he's co-written Coach Thief um, for the website um, Popcorn Fiction. And then correct me if I'm wrong, didn't you co-write that with, you co-wrote it with someone else, right? I, yeah, I, um, so, uh, so um, I have a, uh, for my film and TV stuff, I write with a, a guy named Deep Crown Arnekian. Um, and yeah, we've written together for uh, God, about 12 years now. And so, um, we've, you know, I'm in a, a, a written a ton of film and TV together, but, um, we also write, uh, fiction together. Um, and so, uh, we have, um, we got in the business, uh, I don't know, eight years ago of, um, I mean, ho- Hollywood made this turn where, you know, when we started writing together, you could, you could write a you had an idea, you wrote a screenplay and if it was good, you sold it. That was how it was. And, and we did that for a couple of years. And then um, the financial crisis happened right around the time the writer strike happened. Mm-hmm. Hollywood completely remakes the way they do business. And that coincides with the IP revolution, uh, uh, you know, which is we've entered this period of Hollywood where everything needs to be based on something. You know, uh, every movie you see is based on a, a, a book, a, a video game, uh, you know, a comic book, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so I don't know, eight years ago, you know, after a couple of lean years, we finally got um, uh, it finally got wise and we're like, okay, well, if Hollywood wants IP, why don't we give them IP? And so, uh, the first, the first idea we did this with was this, this thing called Thief Coach. 
Um, and uh, we took an idea that we previously would have written as a, you know, as a spec script, meaning uh, you're writing it on your own, you're not getting paid for it. We, we knew we couldn't sell it as a pitch. We knew we couldn't sell it as a script. So uh, we wrote it as a short story. Uh, we got the short story published and then um, kind of overnight we had a bidding war for the short story. We had um, Justin Lin on one side coming off um, uh, a Fast Six, Fast and Furious Six, which was at that time and may still be the largest opening in the Universal Summer history. And then we had Brett Ratner and Robert De Niro on the other side. Um, and, you know, I think Tyler Perry made an offer for it. There were, you know, it was, it was really competitive and really interesting. And so, you know, we sold that in a competitive situation. It was pretty high profile. Um, and our, you know, our reps kind of thought it was a, uh, a, a, uh, you know, fluke and we knew it wasn't a fluke. We knew this is where the business was heading. And so short and sweet, we've done it like, you know, I don't know, I think seven or eight times since with, uh, with short stories. So yeah, uh, uh, you know, a lot of short stories on my, um, uh, on my credits list. Um, and then, yeah, most recently this, uh, this TV series you alluded to, um, starting to be digs that we just sold the Lionsgate was based on a short story that we wrote also. So. Um, that has kind of become our, our, our business, um, you know, generating IP and, you know, then getting paid to write it in Hollywood. And, uh, you know, now we're doing it with, uh, with comic books. Um, yes. you know, my first comic book aberrant, um, we, uh, set it up as a TV series, uh, I think two weeks before the second issue hit comic shops. So moving along. <laughs> so, okay. So yeah, let me, so aberrant. So that was a, that, no, no, that was like a 10 issue political action thriller. That was from Action Lab that came out in 2018. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Now, at the 2019 Ringo Awards, it won um, the fan favorite award for a favorite villain. And also, too, Abrid, you were um, nominated for um, Best Writer um, at the 2019 Ringo Awards, alongside with Brian Michael Bendis, Jeff Lemire, Scott Snyder, and Brian K. Vaughn. Right? <laughs> Um, yeah, then, yeah, yeah. That, that was a trip. It was, uh, um, yeah, it was like me and for you know uh, four first ballot Hall of Famers. So it was it, it, it was interesting to go down to the uh, yeah the 2019 Ringo Awards and just kind of be the the weirdo that was like you know sitting in a boat with all those guys. It was <laughs> it was pretty funny. Like who the hell is this guy? But but yeah, I was there. Um, uh, and, and we were nominated. Yeah, we were nominated for two Ringo Awards on that, and then uh, and and you know we won one for for best villain. Yeah, mm -hmm. but that's I mean that's I mean but but the thing is but by this time, like I said, it was like um, the 2019 Ringo Awards. Already, you you you're you've been you're a screenwriter. You've been writing short stories for a number of years already. So yeah. I mean, so basically, it's like um, you paid your dues and. It's like now you're at the you you can sit at that table, you know. I'm yeah. So that that must have been incredible. Uh yeah. I mean, it was it, it was great to be embraced uh, uh uh like that by the by the the comics community by the comics Illuminati. Uh, I guess you'd say, and wow. um, and to have it happen so quickly into my 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 comics career. Um, you know, I mean, comics were always my they're always my passion. Yes. Um, uh, I mean, you know, I <laughs> more than anything, I wanted to write comics. Um. I tried uh, to do uh, a comic when I was back in college, but um, but that was kind of, you know, it, it it was a while ago, and and um, you know more uh, more so than the number of years ago it was. It was like technologically a long time ago, you know. So um, so basically back then, you know, you didn't have like digital workflow and 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 this this global you know community that was so accessible. I mean, you had to like know a, an artist in your town. Um, you're dealing with physical drawings, revisions take forever, um, you know, and, 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 you know, now cut to like, you know, a few years later, 
and um you know i mean it's uh um we have digital workflow like uh um you know uh revisions happen in in a mm -hmm. second huge files are traded uh, uh via dropbox um i have you know four i think four titles right now in some version of of uh of you know uh, uh production and um i have artists working for me in mexico in brazil um uh in uh hungary um, my go-to colorist is in Indonesia. My, um, my letterer is in the UK. Uh -huh. um, I pay them all via PayPal. Um, uh -huh. uh, I, I, haven't, I haven't met any of them in person. Uh -huh. uh, uh, some of them I haven't even talked to via Zoom because English isn't their first language. Yeah. Um, you have these massive, um, you know, if you go to Facebook and you go to like connecting comic book writers and artists, you have these massive uh, 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 groups where all these people just kind of meet and chat and artists are throwing their work up and saying, hey, I need a job. Somebody hire me. Um, it is, uh, it is a wonderful time to be doing this and it's never been, um, easier isn't the right word cause this shit is never easy, but, um, it's never been more possible to get your comic book made. And so, um, so that was part of it was, um, was, yeah, I finally took the comics plunge, you know, after, I don't know, I guess, I guess about 12 years or, 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 you know, a, a decade plus of, of writing, um, you know, movies and, and, and TV shows because, um, and I guess because I finally could, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to continue on. I'm going to touch on a couple more. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong. You had another um, from Action Lab. Now I'm going to try to pronounce the title best I can. Banjack. Ban Banjax. Yeah, yeah. Banjax. Banjax. And then that was also nominated for a Ringo Award too, and that was nominated for best series. Along and then was that in 2019 or 2020? Uh, yeah, 2019. It was nominated for four actually. It was nominated uh, for uh, best cover artist, best colorist, uh, best letterer, and then we were nominated for best series and alongside you know something's killing the children and uh, bitter root. Um, bitter root. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Black mm -hmm. Hammer. Um, uh, so yeah, again, that was like a you know that was another like <laughs> Hall of Famers lineup and then and then us. So yeah, that that, that was cool, but um. But yeah, Banjax is kind of a dark superhero noir, um, uh, sort of a um, kind of twisted take on a Batman and Robin story. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, oh, sorry, sorry. So I was just going to, just real quickly, so if, you know, if people are trying to look for like, well, where can I, you know, get these trade, if they're available in trade, um, go to your local comic shop, order them. Um, I think you have a, and I'm going to ask about your social media link, um, your social media platforms, but I know in one of your social media links, you have a link to the your to the Amazon web page. I think to buy those. Well, yeah, I, I have an Amazon authors page, so oh. you, you you can just search my name, Rylan Grant, on on Amazon. Uh, but but yeah, uh, Banjax and Aberrant are available, you know, in fine comic shops everywhere, and uh, you know, via Amazon and Comicsology and all the all the places. Um, yeah, and then I you know I I have two other books uh, that I I kickstarted, and you know, we'll we'll have traditional publishing homes. Uh, uh, fairly soon, but if you want to get your hands on it now, I have a um, a uh, an, uh, kind of a dark astral projection thriller called The Jump. Yes, uh, uh, which is great, and a, a Fargo s uh, Fargo esque um, uh, crime drama called The Peacekeepers. Um, and those are available. Um, I kickstarted those originally, um, uh, but those are available now via backer kit. So if you go to um, the jump two dot backer kit dot com, that's the jump one word and uh, the number two, the jump two dot backer kit dot com. Uh, you find all those there, um, and then you can find kind of signed copies for aberrant uh, of aberrant banjax and kind of rare uh, um, rare con variants. You can see them behind me. I, I know the people listening can't, but um, uh, so it's kind of a one-stop Ryland Grant shop. So if you're looking for um, 
you know, if you're looking for the coolest Rylan Grant stuff, uh, uh, hit the back of shop up. And, um, you know, I mean, with, with, obviously we've been away from cons for so long. Um, uh, it is, I guess, still right now, the only way to get a, a signed copy of anything from me. So, uh, so yeah, find your way over there. There's cool stuff. Okay. Now, Rylan, I'm going to ask, did I miss anything? I did not. No, I don't think so. Um, yeah, you, you covered it pretty well. All right. Now, um, I also want to give a big mahalo or a thank you in Hawaii to um, Joshua Warner of Source Point Press for arranging this interview. And Joshua, thank you very much for giving me an advanced PDF copy of um, Suicide Jockeys. Number one, thank you very much. All right. So, um, Ryland, um, let's see, where, fo where, can follow, where can listeners follow you on social media? Uh, I am at Ryland Grant on all forms of social media. That's uh, R-Y-L-E-N-D-G-R-A-N-T. I always spell it because it's not a real name. My parents just kind of drunkenly arranged letters and saddled me with it. And so now I have to spell it for you guys. So um, at Ryland Grant on all forms of social media, uh, you know, Twitter, Instagram is probably the best place to, uh, to find me. But All right. And then um, now, Ryland, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in a housing project in uh, Detroit, Michigan. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. And I'm going to say, now, um, listeners, please remember that he grew up in Detroit because in issue number one, that kind of sort of plays like, a, not a, how should I say it? It's, um, it, it's Ryland's, um, he still loves Detroit. And it shows in one of in on one of the characters. So, I, we'll yeah, 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 yeah. It comes up. I, I mean, it comes up over and over again. Uh, you know, I mean, Denver, our, our, our protagonist in Suicide Jockeys, uh, is uh, yeah, he's he's from Detroit, and he wears his Detroit pride uh, yes. uh, uh, proudly. And um, yeah, and his uh, you know his his ship uh, is actually named Zeke uh, after uh, Isaiah Thomas, who was the uh, the captain of the uh, the eighty eight eighty nine Detroit Pistons. You know, the Bad Boys team. So. Oh. Uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of overt references, a lot of subtle references. But yeah, I, I, I fly that Detroit flag in this book and in most books one way or another. But yeah. Oh, but that's pretty cool. Okay, so um, what was the first comic that you read? Uh, yeah, that, that's an interesting question. I think, um, so when, uh, when I was a tyke, um, I had a babysitter um, who uh, um, had a... Um, she uh, uh, did a bowling league every week. And so I would go with her mm -hmm. and I would, you know, play the video games or whatever while she bowled with her team. Yes. And um, at some point, and only for a few months, there were a comic shop opened up in like uh, the corner of the, the bowling alley pro shop. Mm -hmm. It was called Web Comics. And, um, and you know, that, that was kind of my first... Um, you know, my first like Zen comic master, you know, you walk in and, you yes. know, it's like, you know, let me introduce you to this wonderful stuff. And um, at that point, you know, he tried some of the, the superhero stuff on me and it wasn't really uh, sticking. Um, what got me was a comic book called uh, Reed Fleming, the world's toughest milkman. Um, which, <laughs> which, <laughs> which, which you should pick up if you haven't. Um, and it is, uh, yeah, it is the, you know, it's a black and white, like really kind of rough around the edges indie comic from, from those days that, um, you know, I mean, it's kind of like, like in the cool indie band or something like that, but it was about a Bukowski-esque kind of drunken milkman who just sort of careened through town and caused havoc. 
Um, and uh, uh, there was a, you know, IDW does these really amazing collected editions that are almost like works of art in themselves. Um, IDW released a, a very amazing Reed Fleming uh, collected edition that you can just grab on Amazon now and, and, and you should totally grab it. But, but yeah, I mean, it was like, um, you know, you pick up a lot of stuff off the rack and just like the standard superhero fare yes. of, the, of the day. I mean, some of it was cool. And, and of course there was great stuff back then. You really kind of had to like, you needed somebody to guide you through it. And later in life, I, I, I had those people that, you know, introduced me to, you know, I mean, like Marvel made Marvel made Iron Man an alcoholic in the 70s. You know what I'm saying? Like that stuff was mind blowing and amazing. And it really influenced me more than anything. Um, but um, but uh, but, you know, a lot of it was, OK, well, superhero, bad guy, they punch each other for a couple of pages and then move on. And that wasn't so interesting to me. And that's the beauty of like an amazing comic book uh, 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 store owner, right? Um, uh, clerk or whatever you want to call them. You know, they can, they can, there is something for everybody in a comic shop. Yes. And, um, and he very quickly got a sense of where I was, uh, you know, in my development as a person. And he's like, yeah, this is, this is really going to appeal to this kid. And, and it blew my mind. It was just awesome. You know, um, uh, you, you just, you just saw, you didn't see this sort of stuff on TV. You mm-hmm. know, you saw like what, what a story could be and and the corners you could push into and the sort of you know the characters you could examine and the fun you could have and um and i was hooked then you know and uh, i've been hooked for a long time ah okay no but i no but that and, and um i'm gonna ask so, um if you don't mind what was the time period that you grew up in because i'm just trying to was it the late eighties, early nineties or? Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 that's about right. Um, you know, the, um, and I first, um, yeah, I, you know, I first ended up in a comic shop, uh, uh, proper after that. Um, you know, it was the, uh, the death of Superman, you know, yes. that, 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 that got me, you know, that, that got me back in the door after the Reed Fleming, uh, uh, uh brush, like, like a lot of rubes, but, I was lucky in that the image revolution was happening, you know, uh, uh, at, at that point, um, that, um, it was around that time too, that, you know, vertigo really took off and started doing some really interesting, challenging stuff. And, and those were the books that, that were really formative, you know, um, uh, you know, preacher and 100 bullets and, mm-hmm. and some of the stuff they were doing with uh, Hellblazer and John Constantine back then. And then, and of course, like I said, I found the, the, uh, the back issue bins and, you know, that's when you look at, um, you know, that, that demon in a bottle arc, you know, uh, yes. uh, you know, with Iron Man and, and stuff like that. So, so yeah, I mean, you'll, um, you will find in a lot of my books kind of revel in this late eighties, early nineties nostalgia, uh-huh. um, you know, more so than, I mean, they're, they're very obviously comics that have influenced me and inspired me to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I mean, I was, uh, again, I grew up in a, I grew up in a housing project in Detroit. Like my, you know, my, my, the examples around me were not great. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, you know, if I had sort of followed those examples, I'd still be back. Who knows? I might be dead. I might be, I might be, I, I don't know what, but most of the people that I grew up with, they, they're still there. You know, they're going, they were born, they're going to live and they're going to die, you know, mm-hmm. with all within about 10 miles, um, which, which is fine for them. It wasn't for me. Um, uh, with, with comics, with TV, I, I saw what else was out there and, and what a person could be. I mean, the TV very much raised me. Like I, I learned right and wrong from Captain Picard and not from <laughs> the, the people around me, like, like, like you're supposed to. Um, uh, but, 
but what has influenced me in my work more than anything are, are those those you know late 80s early 90s action movies you know so you'll you'll see die hard you'll see beverly hills cop you'll see karate kid you'll see you know um uh those are the things that were really kind of soul food to me they spoke to me um and uh and and, and so yeah those are you know you, you start talking influences and, and and that's where i'm at and you, you know you, i mean you actually see all those things uh I, i've become I don't know, famous is the right word or infamous, uh, uh, uh for all my books, uh, for my, um, I, I do these kind of crazy, uh, uh, variant, uh, covers that are kind of tributes to these movies. Yes. Yeah. You know, and, um, it, you know, we, we, we've made some splashes with some of them. I mean, uh, Aberrant, we had a, a coming to America cover that was, you know, all over the, the, the internet, um, that people put for, we had a karate kid cover. We had a top gun playing with the boys volleyball scene cover that people loved. And, um, <laughs> You know, Banjax, we did a Rocky Four variant cover that people loved and a Gremlins cover. And then, um, you know, even on my Kickstarter books, like we had a, uh, um, we had a, for the jump, we just had a Back to the Future cover that everybody needed to get a hold of and a Mandalorian cover. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, um, uh, nostalgia is a very powerful force in my life and I think in everybody's life. And so, um, so I think that, you know, my readers and I really kind of connect and commiserate over all of that. I'm going to ask, um, I'm going to go a little bit off the cuff. Um, um, I'm going to ask, did you want it to be a screenwriter first or did you want to, I mean, we talked about a little bit before our interview, but did you want it to be a screen or did you want it to be a writer or a screen? How did that come about? Like, do you want it to be a writer? Did you want it to be a certain type of writer? I know you wanted to write comics, so. Yeah, yeah I should have, like, I should have known um, that, uh, I, I did know deep down that I wanted to be a writer from the, you know, that, that I wanted to, to tell stories yeah. um, from the moment I was, uh, uh, you know, I, 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 I could see or speak probably. Um, we talked about this. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to you from the office that I write in um, and I am and, and you can see, but the listeners can't, that I'm surrounded by old toys uh, and, and old pop culture stuff. Wait, uh, no, no, let me correct you. They are not old toys. They are action figures and they're very collectible pop culture. So if any, any collector's wife is listening to this, that these are not toys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, there you go. Um, well, you know, they started out as toys for me. I mean, the, um, I told these amazing vivid, you know, uh, uh, uh stories, character pieces with my toys when I was a kid. Um, and so it started back then. And, and, um, and, you know, so, so again, the greatest stories I ever told, I told back then with my action figures, quote unquote. Um, and so now I write in an office surrounded by this stuff and they kind of, you know, speak to me in some weird, uh, you know, karmic way, um, and inspire me still. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was telling stories from, from, from the moment one and I was, um, I was, you know, the kid that, um, I mean, I, I had a column and I, I was the editor of my school newspaper, but I did all the movie reviews. I, I, I had a column where. You know, it was all about kind of telling the stories of the of the school and all that stuff. And it, it looked like you had a question. What were you going to oh, say? No, 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 no. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, I, however, um, you know, as a as a kid in Detroit, um, a dirtbag kid in a you know Detroit housing project or whatever, like the idea of growing up to make movies seemed like you know a fucking fairy tale. Like you know, I I I I would also like to be the captain of the Enterprise, and those are the you know those are the, the those those are the same uh, to me. So never really entertained it um and so growing up my dad kind of pushed me towards uh politics i mean he had me standing on a uh 
uh, you know, standing at a polling place on a street corner with a, a sandwich board campaigning for, uh, you know, I think, I think it was H.W. Bush back then. My, 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 my dad was very conservative. Uh, um, and I did something for every major and local election until I graduated high school. Um, you know, I was, I was going to, I went to the University of Michigan and I, I ended up with a scholarship to the University of Michigan uh, to study political science. I was going to be a political operative and I actually came within a, uh, uh, like a, a hair of going to the Naval Academy. I, with all the political work I did, I had a congressional appointment. I was set to go to the Naval Academy and then kind of 11th hour uh, Michigan comes in with a scholarship offer. And, um, and my dad, who was a Vietnam veteran, is like, look, if you want to go into the military after this, you know, it's fine, but you're kind of an idiot if you don't take the scholarship. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and so I did that. And then I went to Michigan. And Michigan is kind of one of the most liberal institutions in the, you know, in the world. It's kind of Berkeley East or whatever. Um, and, you know, I, I, there's no need to get into a, you know, a, a, a political discussion here. But um, the lesson to take is just like, well, you know, I, I, I grew up with one point of view, Mm -hmm. And, and then, you know, and then my world expands, I'm exposed to this other uh, uh, um, uh, point of view. And I just realized very quickly and very violently that um, the world is not black and white. Yes. Right. Um, and so that was a, uh, that was, that was tough. And there was a lot of other stuff going on in my life. And I'm kind of away from home for the first time. And the world just got a lot bigger. The world was, you know, the world was the size of a Dixie cup. And then mm -hmm. suddenly I'm swimming in this ocean. Um, and, uh, and it was right around that time that, I mean, politics has always been an ugly contradictory void, right? Um, but uh, but it, it started to get, I mean, what we're looking at now started back then, you know, it was starting to get really ugly and politics was no longer about helping, helping people and governing. It was uh, about this, this weird fight between these people who have lined up on two different sides for no reason. And it was, it wasn't about helping or, or actually accomplishing anything. It was just about winning. And if you couldn't win, it was about making sure the other guy didn't win. Um, and, and it was, it was terrible and it was depressing and it was awful. And, uh, and I was livid about it. Um, and so I had this kind of catastrophic nervous breakdown sort of thing, middle of my, my freshman year of college. Um, and it was almost like a, a cliche you'd see in like a bad student film or something like that, where, um, fell out completely one, one day, one night, um, and then just spent an entire night walking around campus. Mm -hmm. Um, walked in and the moment that our i'm going to date myself here but the moment our telephone uh registration system opened up uh i walked back into my dorm room i dropped all of my classes uh that i was set to take for the the second semester which was you know three film class uh, uh three poli sci classes and a social class or something um dropped them all uh grabbed a course guide and this is like the day before you know the semester is supposed to start or something like that uh start flipping through and, um, and I'm just, I'm like, what is going to make me happy? What am I interested in? What is, I, I, I literally have every possibility at my fingertips here. Uh, what do I want to do? What is going to make me happy? And I ended up registering for two film classes, uh, a, a, uh, a theater class and an environmental science class. And, um, uh, you know, a couple of years later, I, I graduated the uh, University of Michigan with a triple major in uh, film, theater, and art history. Um, <laughs> of months that I was working for his company and I was, you know, making copies and, and get coffee and stuff like that. And, um, but I, I just made it a point to, there were other interns, but I made it a point to like work twice as hard as, as all of them put together. And, um, and then a few months in Oliver came back from a long vacation and it was time to start prepping, uh, any given Sunday. 
and um and they needed somebody to kind of be Oliver's shadow during the prep and everything and and they're like well who should we who should do it um and it's like hey how about that kid that has been working twice as hard as everyone else and so they stuck me next to Oliver and so I um I was just over his shoulder while he was prepping any given Sunday and doing all the casting and you know in uh you know in meetings with him and the cinematographer while they're talking about okay well football's been shot you know like dog shit for for decades like how do we how do we make it affecting and make it look awesome you know uh uh you know i was you know sitting in the background while he's sitting there with al pacino arguing over you know uh well you know where's my character here and there and and and, and you know what are the thematics of this thing and we need to do this better and um you know uh you know was there when you know, Jamie Foxx replaced Puff Daddy because Puff Daddy couldn't, uh, couldn't take a snap under center. And, um, it was, uh, it was, it was interesting, you know, I mean, it was, uh, I mean, I mean, you know, you learn a lot at AFI, but I think I learned twice as much just, uh, just being there, you know, and, um, and then also was like, you know, was, was kind of part of the, um, was part of the, the development machine there while, um, uh, he was partnered with a producer named Dan Halstead who produced a lot of interesting movies, but you know, I was there while they did, uh, they did art of war and corruptor and, um, you know, Alexander was in early development then. And, uh, uh, you know, just, a just a lot of movie making happening. And, and I was, you know, God, 19 years old or something like that. And it was, it was really, uh, uh, an education. I'm sorry. I'm going off the cuff here. I, I know we, we need to talk about, um, suicide jockeys, but, Ryland, I just, you know what popped into my head when you said, you know, you're this intern, you, you know, you want to, you know, um, really stand out. It, it, and I know you're a Star Trek The Next Generation fan. It reminded me of that scene in Tapestry where Picard's a lieutenant, where Q, you know, ha has him as a lieutenant, uh, yeah. you know, and, you know, he, he comes to Commander Riker and he goes, you know, how do I become captain? And Riker goes, you have to stand, you know, you have to stand out in a crowd. You have to do this. You have to do that. Okay. And, I'm, I'm, uh, they, again, they can't see it, oh. but I'm pulling out my copy of Tapestry that's just sitting here. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> Nice reference. Yeah, because, yeah. because, I mean, because doing that extra, doing that, going the extra mile got you noticed at age 19. That's incredible, and for you to sit in a in in a room with Oliver Stone and Al Pacino, hearing Al Pacino, and I'm sure they're arguing back and forth, like you said, you know, Al Pacino is trying to figure out his character. That you must be going, oh my god, I can't believe this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it was like uh, I don't know, seeing two like grand chess masters or something like that. Yeah, it was. Um, it it was really interesting. I mean, there was like there was a lot of awe at first. Um because, you know, again, I'm a kid and these are heroes of mine and stuff like that. But um, it's amazing how quickly you kind of get used to it, you know, and it becomes ho-hum that you're, uh, you know, um, you still geek out from time to time. It's weird. It's like, it's, you know, okay, well, uh, James Woods is in today, but, you know, I, you know, that's fine. But, you know, I end up really geeking out when, um, you know, Elizabeth Berkeley was in the film and, um, and Oliver was always running uh, behind. Uh -huh. Um, and so Elizabeth comes in and he's an hour behind or something like that. And so I have to hang out with Elizabeth Berkeley for, a um, for a, uh, for an hour or an hour and a half. And so we're just sitting in the conference room shooting the shit. And, um, and I'm a 19 year old kid and this is Jesse from Saved by the Bell. You know? 
<laughs> and so I, w- I was fine when I was in a room with Al and, and Oliver arguing about character and thematics, but put me in a room with Jesse uh, from Saved by the Bell when I'm a 19 year old kid and I'm, I'm a complete, you know, mess. Um, so, so yeah, it was, um, that was overwhelming and like a massive shock to the system early on. It was a good education because at 24, Mm-hmm. As a, you know, I had to walk in uh, uh, to the Chateau Marmont and pitch a story to uh, to Penelope Cruz and get myself hired over the like 10 seasoned, like 40 year old screenwriters that were walking in and pitching her ideas uh-huh. and convince her that I was the guy that needed to write with the Academy Award winning director. <laughs> um, uh, uh, and so and so could I have done that if I had not gone through all of this like craziness before? I don't think so. But I, you know, I walked in and again, like Penelope was, I mean, it's Penelope Cruz and she's like glowing and awesome. And, and, you know, there's a thing initially, but um, I could very quickly settle into a place of comfort and, and, you know, and, and, and do that. And that's helped me through my entire career because again, it's like, okay, well, I need to sit down with Ridley Scott and talk and, and, and argue with him over this script um uh you know what i'm saying like i i i need to sit down and convince him that i'm right about this and that he's wrong yeah um and and you know and you know i think i think that's another thing if it, um i think i've i've been lucky enough to like get the jobs that i've gotten and do the work that i've done because i'm willing to do that you know what i'm saying most people are are yes men right um and they'll be just, oh yeah yeah you're right you're right ridley yeah 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 let's do that let's do that instead um, uh, I'm not that guy and, and, and I've maybe not gotten jobs or lost jobs because I'm not that guy, but I, I think that I've gotten further because I am that guy. And because, because, you know, my, you know, my, I am interested in, in, in what's best for the story, what's yes. best for the movie, the comic book, whatever. Um, and I'm not going to be a complete asshole about it. You know, again, I, Ridley is going to make the decision, right. And, 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 and when he makes the decision, I'm not going to pout about it. I'm not going to do anything like that, but my duty is to the story. And so if, if I think I can improve this thing, it's my job to convince him and to convince him in a way that isn't abrasive and, 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 you know, uh, I need to package this in a way that, that he'll eat it up. Um, I've gotten pretty good at it. You know, uh, uh, if I feel adamant about something, I get my way about 90% of the time, even with, you know, the Academy Award winning director that I'm sitting across the, the table from. Um, you know, I think that that's a skill. If I have, if I have one, you know, if I have one best skill, maybe that's it, you know. Um, but, but the other thing, it, to me, it just sounds like it's, um, it, it's basically, it's um, earning people's respect. Yeah, to me, that's what it sounds like. And then, like you yeah. said too, it's like, you know, you'll you'll argue your point to you know because the story is the key thing. But if the director says no, I want to do it this way. That's my decision. Then you're kind of okay, you know, and yeah. and, and you know when to step back, which is good yeah. because it, it's kind of like the um, you know pick and choose your battles. Type yeah, thing, yeah. I guess no, and you're yeah, and you're one hundred percent right that it it is it is totally about earning respect, and it's a powerful place once you've earned somebody's respect like that. Um, you know, because you'll you'll be in a room, uh, you know, uh, directors are surrounded by people, and you'll be in a room with um, you'll be in a room with twenty people, right? Yes. And um, and they're trying to make a tough decision, and uh, and and there are a couple of people that have their opinions or whatever, and when you've earned that respect, that's mm-hmm. when that director will then be like, 
hey, Riley, what do you think? You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, um, and that's, you know, I mean, that that's, again, it's a powerful place to be in. It's a, it, it is a, um, you know, they're, they're embracing you. They're letting you know that they trust you, that your, your opinion is valued. And, and you do have to, you have to earn that position. Absolutely. Um, and you, you, you don't earn that position by bullshitting or by kowtowing or anything like that. It's like once they, once they realize that you have that, that you're, you're coming at this from a good place and from an intelligent place and, and a place where you've carefully considered everything, um, uh, you know, they will then trust you. And, and a lot of times when they do that, what they're looking for is they're looking for you to challenge them. They're looking for, mm-hmm. uh, uh, they're looking for a dissenting opinion. Um, uh, you know, and, and you know what, I mean, most of, most of these guys and gals, they didn't get to where they are by, by not weighing everything. You know what I'm saying? Like a guy like Oliver Stone, a woman like Penelope Cruz, uh, uh, the Al Pacino's of the world, any of these people, um, uh, they see the game from all of the angles. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, and in fact you can, but you know, uh, uh, filmmakers often have this arc, right? Where they were, where, you know, they have this kind of stratospheric climb. And then at some point uh, they get to this place where no one can tell them no anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, they stop listening to people. They're, they're lost in their own genius. And that's usually when their career goes to shit. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we see it over and over again uh, in, in, in every, you know, in, in every business and every art and every whatever um, the smart ones don't lose that, you know? Um, and I think it's important. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Ryland, I'm sorry. I'm going to start um, kind of like, um, it was great. That was great. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah. I just wish we could talk about that a little bit more. But our yeah, focus yeah. on the interview today um, is, um, I'm going to just go into the suicide jockeys. What is the premise of this story? Uh, yeah, so suicide jockeys, I guess short and sweet, is... Uh, tokusatsu for the uh rabid american action movie fan and in, in a nutshell it is um uh fast and the furious meets um voltron uh but kind of with an extra dollop of of heart and soul i mean i i, I think i said this to you uh, uh before we got started but um kind of at its heart it's a a sort of boogie nights-esque dissection of a, a, a non-traditional family mm-hmm. um you know so there's, there's a lot of that kind of you know good hard-hitting character stuff but it's also kind of you know, great bonkers, howl at the moon uh, uh, action. Um, you know, we, we we've talked about how how movies and and and, and things kind of uh, uh, influence me with this stuff. Um, uh, you can see it, uh, um, but but again, the people listening can't. Um, there is a uh, um, I have a kind of an old janky VHS setup behind me. There's a an old VHS player and a. a, 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 a a CRT TV it, there. Is, I'm sorry. Is it still working the VHS? Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so that's what I do is I, um, this, this cabinet that you see below me is just full yeah. of VHS tapes. Um, and, and in fact, like I have a lot of them from, uh, a lot of them. I just have the original, uh, blockbuster tapes. This is like a, as a blockbuster video, uh, copy of reservoir dogs, but, um, you know, I have, I don't know, probably about a hundred of these blockbuster tapes, but, um, so while I'm writing, uh, I will just throw something on the VCR and, you know, it's a, it's a, again, a nostalgic thing for me. It's like, that was, that was how I watched these movies originally. Yes. Um, and so, you know, I want that feeling again while I'm doing it. And so I'll just, I, you know, I'll just, I, I walk in, okay, what's the tape of the day? I'm going to throw this in. Let me, let me throw in, you know, Rocky four today. 
um, and, and let it play. And then I just go about my business and, and I know these movies so well that it just doesn't, you know, whenever I look over, it's like a familiar scene or whatever. Um, and so as I was, you know, as I was prepping this, I mean, there is the, there is the obvious tokusatsu influence. There is the obvious Fast and the Furious influence. Um, one of my claims to fame is that I've, I've actually written for the directors of six of the nine Fast and the Furious movies. So, um, so, so I, I definitely have that part of the equation covered. Um, but, but as I was kind of, uh, uh, as this thing was manifesting, um, what I found myself putting in the VCR more often than not, and, and what really ended up kind of like seeping in by osmosis and really kind of inspiring me on this thing was there is this subgenre of action movie um, that we saw during the late nineties actually. Um, and it was, it was all about kind of like machismo and swagger. And it was these like really testosterone swaggery swinging dick kind of, kind of heroes. And I'm talking about films like, um, uh, like face off. What's that? Roadhouse. Uh, well, 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 Roadhouse is a little earlier, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Roadhouse is one of my primary influences. Period. And we can talk a lot about Roadhouse, and we can talk about the uh, the Roadhouse variant cover uh, that is yes. available for uh, for issue one of Suicide Jockeys that everyone should go out and get. Yes. Um, but more than anything, in terms of the drama and the character of this, I'm talking about this this ninety these nineties action movies like Face Off, like uh, like The Rock, like Con Air, uh, like Armageddon. Um, you know, these big, bad, you know, unapologetically like, you know, testosterone uh, action movies. Um, and I started from a plate from that place. And so, um, and so, you know, Suicide Jockeys, it, it, you know, it takes place on kind of two, uh, you know, two, two, two time uh, in two time, frame, time frames, right? There's 10 years ago, you had this, uh, you, you had this team of these monster fighting badasses. They, you know, they go to complete this mission. It goes horribly wrong and they lose one of their team members, right? They lose the mother figure, basically. Um, ten, 10 years later, everything's fallen to shit. These guys haven't talked to each other since then. Everybody's in their own little corners. The family's broken up. Somebody steps out of the shadows and says, hey, you know that thing that went wrong 10 years ago? I think we can fix it. Here's how. And then Denver, our protagonist, our kind of swaggery swinging dick uh, uh, action hero right out of one of these movies, he has to slap the family together. Uh, he has to put the team back together and, and, and ride off to save mom, right? Um, and, and so there was this interesting study here where our protagonist, Denver, is, you know, he is one of these, these heroes out of like a late 90s Michael Bay movie or a, a late 90s Simon West movie. Um, and, but, but now, 10 years later, he is in the, in the here and now where we are, are socially conscious and we are overly PC and we are all of these things. And, and, and he is, a, he is very much a man out of time, you know, it is hard for him to exist uh, uh, in this current environment. And, um, and, and he messes up a lot and, and he, and he, and he falls flat on his face uh, 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 any number of times. Um, but he's, he's ultimately coming from a good place. He is yes. coming from, you know, he is, he is trying to put his family back together. He is trying to save the woman he loves. He is trying to save all of humanity and, and time and space. In fact, Mm -hmm. um and uh and 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 so so you know so so that's what it's about um but you know there's there's a really interesting meaty kind of intellectual story behind this thing mm -hmm. now that we've now that we've talked about all of the kind of goonish uh uh, uh influences that we have um so this was co-conceived um uh 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 with with another person named brad warner and so one of the um 
I guess one of the things that didn't come up in your intro, one of the lines in my bio that, that kind of too often doesn't, doesn't get its due is that I happen to be an ordained Soto Zen Buddhist monk. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, and, you know, I, I, I mean, I've, you know, I, I, I guess I've, I've really kind of been exploring this stuff for 20 plus years, but I've, you know, seriously been a, a, a Zen Buddhist for 15 and, you know, was, I don't know, ordained mm-hmm. 12 years ago or something like that. Uh, it doesn't mean much, but that I meditate a lot and teach other people meditation. And, you know, every, uh, uh, you know, a uh, couple of times a year, we go off into the mountains for a retreat or whatever. But, um, but Soto Zen is a, a Japanese sect. Um, and so because of that, I have a lot of these kind of oddball Japanese connections. And I work in the film business. So I have a lot of oddball connections in the Japanese film business uh, uh, because of that. So one of these connections happens to be this guy, Brad Warner, who is another ordained Soto Zen Buddhist monk, who um, is a, a kind of a, um, uh, you know, has had a storied writing career himself. He is kind of one of the American Zen writers. He uh, He's written probably about a dozen books and sold hundreds of thousands of copies and stuff like that. But um, uh, his, his, his best known book is a book called Hardcore Zen. Um, which is a great book. Um, uh, kind of the Americans and East technical manual. I highly recommend it. That's, you know, on Amazon and in bookstores everywhere and all that stuff, but great book. Um, but Brad and I would, you know, uh, uh, Brad's other, you know, Brad's, Brad's day job for a long time was he, he was an American who lived in Japan, uh, uh, and he worked for a company called Zubariah Productions, um, which was founded by the man who created Godzilla. Um, and, and they've, you know, have for decades created great tokusatsu fair. Um, they are best known for doing all the Ultraman, uh, uh, TV shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, of course, Ultraman is like the biggest tokusatsu in the world, you know, uh, uh, essentially. Um, uh, and so, um, and so, yeah, for about a dozen years, Brad was working as a producer and executive on, uh, on, um, you know, on Ultraman, uh, and, and other shows. Um, but you know, Brad and I met each other, you know, years later and we would go, you know, we were kind of in the same Zen circle and we would twice a year go up to the Mount Baldy Zen center and go on these retreats, uh, you know, for, for days on end. And, you know, we were in silence for the most part, but, um, but when we were allowed to talk, we would get to talking about, you know, uh, you know, just stuff we love, you know, we, we love the same kind of movies and, and, and we both kind of grew up in our like local UHF uh, stations played, weird tokusatsu fair you know at 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 noon on saturdays or whatever you know um and we both were kind of mesmerized by it and 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 him more than me i guess because you know he grew up to i mean as soon as he could basically he had the same fallout i did but he moved to japan mm-hmm. uh learned learn the language and, and 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 went to work for one of these companies making these things actually so um so yeah, so Brad and I, like, you know, I, it was years of discussion and it was like, okay, well, why doesn't, you know, Tokusatsu has a following in the States, but it's kind of niche. It's kind of cult, cultish. Mm-hmm. Um, and why hasn't it like hit like it has every, you know, not everywhere else necessarily, but, you know, in Asia, it is the biggest thing, yes. <laughs> you know, uh, why doesn't it get its due here? Um, why isn't it cool like it should be? And um, so we just started to talk about, okay, well, what would that look like? Like, how do, how do you make tokusatsu cool? How do, you, how do you package it for the modern American action movie fan? And Suicide Jockeys is what we came up with, you know? And, and we are an interesting pair because it's like, um, you, 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 talk about, you talk about Fast and the Furious meets Voltron, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, I, you know, again, for 15 years, I've been writing like kick you in the teeth American action movies. Again, I've, I've written for six of the directors of six of the nine Fast and the Furious movies. I have that covered. Um, 
uh, on the Voltron side, Brad has been producing, uh, uh, you know, uh, shows like Voltron for a dozen years mm -hmm. and we just got together on it. And so I'm, I'm giving you a, a loud kick you in the teeth, uh, uh, American action movie experience. And he's making sure that Tokusatsu fans have an authentic experience and that it feels like that. And then it, it, it gives the, the Tokusatsu world its due and that we have our Easter eggs and, you know, our nods to, uh, to, to the hardcore fans. And, you know, we made a really good team on this thing. Um, you know, and then joining us, uh, is the, uh, we have the same art team from Aberrant, you know, uh, again, Aberrant, we, yeah, we were, um, we were, you know, uh, we won a Wrangle award with Aberrant. We were nominated for two others. Um, and so this is a team that has, uh, um, has been together for a good long while. We know how to tell a story together. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, it, you know, it's just fun. It, it, mm -hmm. it, it is, it is the, it, it's, it's the, it's the most fun I've had putting a comic together. Um, and I think that's going to be immediately evident, but so, so more than that, more than just being fun, it's actually about something. Okay. So you have, you have two, you have two Zen, Zen monks who, who put this thing together. Right. And so we couldn't, and, and a lot of the roots of this thing were put together actually on Zen retreats and stuff like that. And it is a, it is a time travel story. It is a story about who we are and what the fabric of time and space and reality is. Um, and so we couldn't help, but talk about that in a through a zen lens right and so uh and so we're it, it's maybe a little hyperbolic to say that we're kind of teaching zen with this thing like and 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 maybe that puts people off a bit so that's not really it but we're having like a the same big existential questions that we wrestle with in our zen practice we are wrestling with here in this book but in a really fun heightened way you know mm -hmm. so so who am i what is this this world this universe we're a part of yes. uh matters of space and time and and you know, it's something you find. I mean, if you really like, if you go back and you, and you, you look at the teachings of A.H. Dogen, who was, you know, 800 years ago, who was the, uh, you know, kind of the, the founder of, of, of Soto Zen. Mm -hmm. um, he was, he was wrestling with the same things that like modern physics wrestles with right now, mm -hmm. you know, and he, and he had very similar takes and views, you know, I mean, what, what Einstein would do 800 years later, Dogen was, was, was doing back then. And, and that's, that's really interesting. And so we're, we're kind of having that conversation uh, uh, while we're giving you a, a howl at the moon, you know, monster fighting extravaganza. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, if you like a little, you know, you like a little side salad with your, uh, your, you know, nachos or whatever, that's, that's what you're getting. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say, I think what's really great is that, like you said, that, you know, this story idea came up, you know, during your guys, and correct me if I'm wrong, the, the Zen retreats. Mm -hmm. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like it's, it, it, the stories came out from a quiet place. Because if you guys had just gone to a bar, talked about it, it, it there's just too many distractions there. It's just mm -hmm. like at the retreat, it's like you guys are focused, it's centered. This is what, not only is it, you know, um, you know, um, you know, Fast and Furious meets Godzilla or Vol you know, Voltron. Mm. But, um, but like I said, it, it just sounds like there's a little more to the story. And there is, because like you said in the beginning, Denver deals with regrets, you know, and you can see the spiral of, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when I read the first issue, you see this, how one event in Denver's life really spot, you know, when you're, for me, when I'm reading the story, you see the spiral, the spiral downward spiral of um, Denver, especially mm -hmm. when he's at, at these uh, sort of conventions, 
yeah, at the comic book convention. And I yeah. have to say, I love the character Denver. He's great. Um, I'm, I'm going to spoil one scene. I love him when he's on stage at a panel and his pants is like dropped down, you know, and it's like, and he, he goes, yeah, he goes on a, a Boone's farm field tirade, uh, uh, and, and calls the, the con organizers, Jesus freaks. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's a good scene. Yep. <laughs> I mean, but, no, but correct me if I'm wrong, but that's, that's, but it sounds, that's what it, I just think the premise of the story where it came from sounds great. And it's, and, um, there's a little bit more meaning to the story too, as well. Yeah, I, I mean, we're dealing with some really heavy character stuff. I mean, all of my writing ends up being about kind of getting my own demons, psychological and otherwise, into a room and kind of beating the shit out of them. Mm -hmm. And yeah, this is this is a story about about regret and about um, you know and about you know family and how um, as hard as you try, you can never really kind of put them out on the ice floe, right? Like. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, when there there are a handful of people in your life where no no matter what has transpired, if they knock on your door and need help, you're going to let them in, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, um, you, you may kick them out of your house, but you'll never kick them out of your heart, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, there, there, there's a lot of that, and it's also a story about you know wrestling with PTSD. And um, you know, there was a there was a, a very was a very positive uh, uh, a review of the issue this morning in. Um, uh, on monkeys versus uh, uh, monkeys fighting robots, excuse me, um, the the very good comic website and um, and uh, uh, the reviewer there um, really kind of he really picked up on something interesting where it's like this is about this is about our obs obsession with escapism, right? You know, uh, that th th that's really uh, what what I mean the series itself, but but this first issue is about where it's like okay, well. Um, uh, there's so much going on in our lives, uh, you know, both internally and politically and socially and all that mm -hmm. stuff. And, and all of that ends up in this, all of that ends up in this series. I mean, it's like, it's what's going on today with this slight twist that there are also monsters, you know, yes, yeah. uh, 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 um, you know, which, which is pretty funny. Um, but you know, it's, um, I mean, in a lot of ways, Denver's not dealing with any of it, right. He's just retreated into this, this, this cocoon, right. Um, and, and, and the story getting started, it is about him being forced out of his cocoon and having to confront all of this stuff. But even when he confronts it, it's like, okay, well, this is too much and this is awful. Like, what if, um, what if we can just go back and change it so we don't have to deal with any of this shit, you know? <laughs> um, and, and, and so, so it being, you know, I mean, this is kind of a, a poem about the times of COVID, right? Where it's, uh, where, where, um, where we are all in these bunkers um and and there is this hell happening uh, uh outside one way or another again like uh uh like medically uh socially uh economically yeah. politically uh in every way and then and then in our own lives at home yeah. um and so we're all looking for our way out our escape how do we shut it off for a minute or mm -hmm. for an hour or forever mm -hmm. um and so, yeah, and, and those are very you know, those are very serious things, and I think that you know there's an irony to that because it's like well this is an action comic book about fighting monsters and this is escapism at, at its best, but it is, it is, in a, it's an escapist play. Uh, you know, um, it is escapism about escapism. Uh, oh. it's, it's, it, there's, there's a weird tension in that, that I think yeah. is, is interesting. And it was nice to see the second reviewer to, to pick up the issue, be like, Oh, I get this. This is, mm -hmm. this is very interesting, you know? So that's cool. Yeah. That is cool. So, um, Ryland, I'm sorry, I'm going to 
continue on because I know time is, I'm trying to, um, trying to respect your time. So um, I'm going to, um, one last question about um, uh, suicide jockeys. Yeah. How did you guys choose the movie poster homage covers? Because we already talked about Roadhouse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, um, it, uh, it's about what strikes me in the moment, you know, I mean, sometimes there's stuff that's, that's fitting. Um, you know, we chose, uh, I, I mean, in, in terms of Roadhouse, I was just, I, I knew I was going to do a movie homage cover. Like I'm, I'm again, I'm known for them. They tickle me. They tickle the, the, the audience. That's what they expect and what they demand from me. It's about finding the right fit. And, um, and you know, um, uh, you know, there was just something about, I mean, there's something about that image, yes. um, that, that Roadhouse poster, you know, uh, uh, Patrick Swayze, you know, um, uh, uh, from, from Roadhouse and, and, you know, that, that was kind of a karmic cousin of Denver. And yeah. when you put, you put De you know, we basically, we took Patrick Swayze out and put our character in and, and I mean, it's spiritually, it's like a dead ringer, you know, they're, they're, they're karmic cousins. And then, you know, there was something about the, the, the tagline too, that just kind of fit. So really that's what it's about. I mean, it's about, it's about pressing the right buttons with me but but also with with the readers with the audience i mean the, the bottom line is like if i like it and like i have two or three friends that i'll just kind of show it to before and if they're like wow then i know that i'm gonna get the right response um but but yeah and it's like you, you know again it's like I, I think that um i mean these were movies that excited me and they made me want to do this sort of stuff and so i mean i think it's nice to give them a nod and to, to pay tribute, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm respecting my elders with this stuff, you know, Re respecting what came before. Mm -hmm. But like I said, when I saw that cover, I was like, Oh my God, I, I, I got to make sure I get that cover. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke at you because, um, because Roadhouse is one of my, is one of those guilty pleasures. Um, I'm not going to get too religious here because I'm a born again Christian I've watched Roadhouse, the R-rated version. It's still, the, for me, that's one of the macho movies of all time. For me, yeah, it is. That's my uh, my blockbuster. I don't know if you can see it. That's my 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 copy of uh, Roadhouse from Blockbuster way back when. <laughs> oh my! God. I told you I had a lot of them, but but yeah, Roadhouse is Roadhouse is incredible. It's great. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was actually um, I, I don't know where it's gonna go, but um, I uh, I have been for the last. I don't know, a year or so kind of um, talking with the folks at Silver about um, what Roadhouse might look like as a, uh, as a TV series. Oh, um, you know, and, and oh. do you do, you know, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be interested in a reboot at all, but like what would happen if you kind of revisited that world, you know, what, yeah. what's going on there now. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, that's, um, you know, that's one of the things that like probably will never happen that I'm most excited about, but, mm -hmm. um, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's it, it's an amazing world, amazing character. Um, you know, it sucks that that Patrick's gone. Uh, you know, in terms of doing something like that, but but yeah, I I, I, I would love to uh, revisit the world. Okay, all right. Sorry, I'm going to continue moving on because I want to move on to your next project. That um, state of consciousness. Oh yeah. Is that in post production right now? And if you can give us tell us something about the story. Yeah, yeah, we saw um, 
we saw the first cut of it uh, last week. So, um, you know, it'll probably, uh, I, you'll probably see it. Um, I mean, God, you know, who knows with COVID, uh, if it'll be in a theater or, or, or on a streamer or, 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 or something like that, um, you know, uh, late this year or early next year. But yeah, it's a, um, it is a, uh, you know, a kind of a sci-fi joint in the, uh, in the kind of sci-fi and genes in the vein of like Gattaca or Ex Machina um you know kind of a psychological you know mind fuck of a sci-fi story um uh starring Emil hirsch mm-hmm. um you know, directed by a guy named marcus stokes who's a really uh, talented guy who's kind of one of these um kind of one of these guys that you go on his imdb and he's um he's directed an episode of like every great tv show out there and so you know he's he's um you know <laughs> he's the kind of guy that um that ends up you know he'll be directing a marvel movie in three years or something like that um we're getting him at a good time uh, but, but yeah, it's, um, uh, you know, again, a, um, a, a film that I wrote with, you know, my film TV writing partner, Deke Ronernekian. And, um, and so, yeah, that was, um, that was shot. Um, we actually got that made and shot, uh, during, you know, the worst of COVID, uh, mm-hmm. uh, by, by some miracle, um, shot in Italy and in Guatemala underneath, uh, an active volcano actually, um, which, uh, made for some good, uh, um, social media posts, um, you know, if you go on Emil Hirsch's uh, Instagram account, you can actually see him just kind of step out of his trailer and, and video the active volcano that is seemingly a stone's throw away. Um, it's smoke pouring out and stuff uh-huh. like that. So, so th- th- that's funny. Um, but yeah, it's uh, but but that was cool. Um, we were we were supposed to actually be in Italy and then Guatemala for for you know all the shooting and stuff like that. Um, about you know a few days before we were we were set to go, kind of Italy you know, blew up COVID wise and we had ended up having to stay home. And then a few days after that, they closed the whole country down. And so it, it was good that we didn't go because we would have been stuck there for a long time. And I have a four-year-old at home who would have been very unhappy. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so, so that's going on. And, um, uh, you know, as I alluded to when we were sort of talking in the green room, uh, I have another, uh, another film actually with, uh, with Fernando Trueba, who I talked about earlier, um, that is such a shoot in Greece in the spring. And um, I'm supposed to go to Greece uh, uh, for that, but I, you know, COVID is starting to look nasty again. So hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully the universe cooperates, right? Yes. No. Yes. And and hopefully, because correct me if I'm wrong, because I, um, because I aren't you, isn't Greece also having some um, crazy like um, forest fires over there? I can't remember. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it wouldn't, okay. it, it, you know, with, with everything that's going on in the world, it, I, it would not surprise me in the least. Uh, you know, also I, I live in, you know, Southern California, which is the uh, forest fire capital of the world. So I just assume that there's always a forest fire. Yeah. Uh, it's, I'm sorry to hear about that. Yeah. Um, if you don't mind me asking how, how I mean, are, is it, it's just, you know, like, are there any, is, is like the smoke from the forest fires is, is it affecting your guys' neighborhood and area or anything like that? No, we're not, we're not, uh, we don't have anything right now that is affecting us, but, but it certainly has, um, you know, I mean, it's, and it's seemingly more and more, uh, you know, more and more every year. Um, we had a really bad one last year where, um, uh, it was, it got, it got pretty close, like maybe a 10 minute drive away or, or, or so. Um, we weren't worried about the house catching fire, but the air quality got so bad that we, we seriously considered just leaving for a while. Um, you know, uh, but, um, but yeah, you know, um, we're, 
yeah. I mean, we're, we're kind of lucky. I used to live, um, I used to live next to Griffith park and, uh, which is, you know, kind of the, I don't know, the central park of Los Angeles, just a, mm-hmm. a you know, there aren't, there's not like a, a lot of big open wooded area in, in, in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's definitely one of it. And yeah, Griffith park caught fire at, at some point, you know, years ago. And, and that was like coming up over the hill and that's, you know, we, we could see fire and <laughs> that's when you start to worry. Um, but, uh, but yeah, other than that, it's just a lot of, you know, you, you come out in the morning and, you know, the air quality is terrible and you got ash on your car, you know, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to hear about that. I really, uh, you know, um, sorry guys, I didn't mean to do a little detour. Um, let me just, I'm going to slowly wrap this up. Um, let's see, I'm going to jump into your podcast, the writer's block podcast. Um, let's see, I know it started in September of, last year currently there is about 42 episodes i know your past guests you have an incredible list of past guests like you had mac fraction on stan sakai you know um, I, i'll be honest I, I i can't remember I, I don't even know if he does i think he rarely does interviews I, I could be wrong i could be wrong i know you had kevin eastman john layman rodney barnes as you mentioned previously um patrick kennedy johnson joe duffy and i know you've had um Erica Schultz on and um and also a friend of the show David Peppels you know so yeah and then um and then um the writer's block it is co it is you and um I'm going to try to pronounce David's last name David a- Avalon uh Avalone Avalone yeah Avalone yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 David Avalone is another um uh really talented comic creator um he is probably best known for doing um he does all of the Elvira comics uh, uh, at Dynamite right now. Um, oh. You know, he's done Betty Page over there. Um, has, has done a bunch of other stuff. But he also co-created a, a book called Drawing Blood with with Kevin Eastman. Um, yeah, yeah. Who you know, of course, created you know Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But um, so um, so yeah, Avalone is a great guy and one of my closest friends in in comics. And um, and so yeah, uh, when when COVID hit and cons stopped, um, uh, Avalone and I started doing a lot of these kind of online cons together. And um, we got part of the con experience out of that, where we could do panels. We you know you, you kind of bump into your friends or whatever. Um, but it was only part of it. You know, it was only part of the uh, the experience. Yes. And what what we missed most about not having cons was the creator camaraderie, you know, um, uh, what, what is often called Barcon, even though Barcon kind of has like a weird connotation now because you, you, you start to think of like creepy folks or whatever. But basically what happens is at the end of a, a long day on the con floor, the creators get together, they go to the, you know, the bar, or the restaurant across the street, and they all just shoot the shit for a couple hours. Right. And that was always the highlight of con for us. That was the best time catching up with everybody and, you know, trading barbs with people. And so we tried to create that sort of experience in a, 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 in a podcast sort of format. And so, um, so yeah, that's what we do. We, um, uh, you know, we get, uh, uh, you know, two of our, our, you know, two of our friends in the business together. And, you know, so there are four of us at kind of a round table and um, we start out with a, a comics business topic and, and start on that. And, and usually pretty quickly it kind of goes off the rails and we end up arguing over like what our favorite Star Trek captain is or, 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 or whatever. Um, but it's always fun. It's always crazy. And, um, and, you know, we get into some very, I think, meaningful comics business discussions, like discussions about process and where the business is headed. And, and, and so, so yeah, you know, it's not, you know, it's not people, you know, we don't have people on to kind of promote their books and, and, 
it's not one of these podcasts. There are great podcasts out there where people come on and kind of tell their story, you know, like, like I'm doing now. Um, uh, This is creators on to talk about, you know, a business thing, you know, let's, um, uh, I have, um, uh, we, uh, right after I record this, I'm, uh, I'm actually hopping on Avalonia and are hopping on with Sean Lewis, um, who just wrote Kingspawn, um, <laughs> which, you know, uh, um, uh, you know, 500,000 pre-orders. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, Sean and I were at NYU together when we were 19, you know, I've known Sean that long. And so, um, and so we are doing a kind of career development discussion. Like, how do you go from this kind of 19-year-old goon? Sean was actually an actor back then. He was studying at the Stella Adler Conservatory. And so, um, and, you know, now he just wrote maybe the biggest comic book ever, you know? Yeah. Um, and so what does that feel like? And how do you go from here to there, right? Um, and it'll just be a lot of career development talk. Like, you know, if, you know, you want to grow up to write Spawn one day, uh, uh, what do you got to do? And how do you got to get lucky? And, um, and all that stuff. So that'll be a great discussion and that's kind of our bread and butter, you know? And, um, and it's, you know, it's not, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a talk amongst friends, you know, uh, uh, you know, again, like, um, you know, Avalone is one of my closest friends just period. And, and, and Sean have done since I was 19. Yes. Um, and, and so, um, you know, and, and he has Eastman on and Eastman is his business partner, you know? And so it's just, you, you just get a, you get a level of discussion and a level of familiarity between people that you don't normally get. And so I think that that's kind of the magic of this, this podcast. And um, yeah, people seem to be responding pretty well to it. I think, um, I think this will be our 42nd episode. So, you know, that's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of, um, of 80 guests. Uh, and, um, you know, and, and it's usually four of us today's just Sean, because I thought it merited that. And we're kind of trying this, okay, well, what does it look like with one guest? But we've had, you know, we've done panels at, at cons together and, 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 and recorded it. And, you know, we've had five people on with us or something like that. So, um, uh, always something a little bit different. Um, but if you dig comics and you dig process and you're looking to get in the business, I mean, it's, it's really aimed at creators or, or would be creators. Um, so check it out if you're interested in that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, listeners, I highly encourage you to check out the writer's block podcast. Um, you know, like I said, over the weekend, I wasn't feeling too well. I was able to listen to a part of an episode. I think it's great, you know, because Ryland, like you just said, it's just basically it's, you guys talk about the creative process. And like you said too, what you touched upon too is that what I love is that you guys know each other. So there's not only that familiarity, but there's that comfort too where you guys can talk about process and so forth. Um, you know, you know, like I said, it, it's really great. You know, it really is. So if, listeners, again, if you guys get a chance, please check out this podcast. One last question before I start wrapping up um, about the Writer's Block podcast. Who is the one guest you guys want to come on the show? Yeah, well, um, it, it, it's hard because it's like we've, you know, I, I mean, I feel like we've, um, I feel like we've, we've had most everybody. Um, uh, there are a couple of people that um, Howard Shaken is a big one for us. Um, uh, I, I know him. Uh, he and Avalone have like an interesting re- relationship. Like they're, they're close and in, in a really interesting way. And, um, and Shaken is a force of nature. Yes. Um, and so uh, Avalone has been a little bit, um, 
hesitant isn't the right word. He's been, he, he wants to do it at the right time and under the right conditions because, because Chaykin can, can, can eat you alive if, <laughs> if, if, if you don't take him seriously. Um, uh, I mean that in the best way. I'm saying like he is, a, he is an intellectual force. And so we, we want to make sure that we are up to the, uh, you know, uh, 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 up to the, the, the sparring match that will no longer, uh, that will uh, no doubt come. Um, uh, so, in, you know, in fact, like, and I, and I think Shaken is his own episode. I don't think you pair Howard and Shaken with someone because, um, yeah. because, you know, and, and so we're kind of trying this thing with Sean where it's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, it's the first time we've had one guest on. Yeah. So let's see how this works. And then maybe, uh, you know, and, and then maybe we're ready for Jake. And so, so, you know, so that's interesting. Um, uh, I mean, another one that, that I've, I've been interested in is, um, uh, Matt Shackman is, is a friend of mine. Uh, Matt Shackman is a, uh, a, a director, um, uh, who I worked with on a TV show, uh, a few years back, but, um, but then he directed, um, he directed a lot of the, um, the final season of Game of Thrones. He did the uh, that big dragon episode that everybody lost their shit uh, over. And then he became this kind of uh, mega star of a director. And then he, he directed the entire first season of WandaVision. That was that was all him, all, all, all those visuals, um, all of that stuff and was an executive producer on it and everything like that. And so um, I would love to have Matt on and, and talk, you know, Game of Thrones and WandaVision and um, all that stuff. Um, Okay. Yeah, so as I was saying, I'd, I would love to. I'd love to have Matt on and 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 talk um and talk Wandavision and talk Game of Thrones and you know what goes into. I, I mean, Matt started out as a um uh, Matt was a child actor. He was um he played Jr. on Just the Ten of Us. Um, I don't know if you remember Just the Ten of Us, but it was about this. It was a a, a spinoff of Growing Pains. Uh, the 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 gym teacher in Growing Pains had this family, and he had um, I think he had he had seven daughters and one son, and and Matt Shackman was was the son uh, uh, I, 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 on the show, just the ten of us, and and so you know he was Jr. on just the ten of us, and then he became like kind of like the premier television director in the business, uh, yeah. and so you talk about a journey again. Um, he's just an interesting dude, and he's a nice dude, and he's a great dude, and he runs a theater here in Los Angeles, and just has a lot of great insight. And so I'd, I'd love to get him on at some point, but um, uh, he just signed on to do the new Star Trek movie. I mean, he's like busier than any human being imaginable. So it's one of these things where it's like, I, you know, I don't, um, he doesn't have a spare minute, um, but uh, I, I'll corner him at some point and get him on. But yeah. All right. I'm going to start wrapping up because I know I'm, um, yeah, I'm going to start wrapping this up. Um, let's see. Um, have you and your family been to Hawaii? Uh, yeah, I've been twice actually. My, um, my mom, my parents were divorced when I was four and my mom got remarried when I was, um, uh, uh, 17. Mm-hmm. And so been about two weeks in Hawaii then, uh, Kanapali, um, which was wonderful. And, um, I am the, uh, I'm like the biggest Magnum PI fan on the, uh-huh. the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, if you, uh, the, the audience can't see this, but you can see all my like crazy Magnum PI stuff. Um, uh you know my my toys and my yeah um yeah yeah and so so i'm the biggest and so that you know so that was a thing is you know i had to go and see the magna pi house and um you know and 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 you know do my uh you know do my little pilgrimages there um you know but also it was like um you know again i was i was i was a dirtbag kid who grew up in detroit and um and i occasionally got down to Kentucky family or something like that. But Hawaii was really like my first, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm, I am experiencing something, you know, I'm, I'm ex- experiencing this wide world in an interesting way. And, and, and it was, you know, there was, you know, 
it was a different culture and uh, and 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 uh, you know a, a different climate yes. and uh, and you know um, you know not just not, not not just the cultural stuff but but island living in general was so very different and mm-hmm. so you know and it was it was so much more I don't know it was it was so much more relaxed there was a different way of 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 approaching the day and stuff like that and that was that was very refreshing and awesome uh, for me and then my wife and I. Um, I guess shortly, uh, shortly before we had our kid, um, one of her closest friends from, from, uh, college got, uh, got, uh, married in, in Hawaii. And so we spent about a week, uh, uh, there and, and, and that, you know, that was, that was a great time. It was, it was good to kind of be there with, um, you know, I, I mean, I wasn't a kid anymore. I was very much an adult, mm-hmm. you know, I was with my, my wife at that point. So that was different. And, you know, we could, uh, swimming with sea turtles and and just you know it, it's just I, I mean it's it, it's 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 weird to me because it's like there's so much so much stuff there that's just straight magical mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying like um uh uh you know yeah but, but I, I just hop in the water and just go swim with a bunch of just massive turtles like that was that that was earth shattering that's like that's that's fantasy you know that's like holodeck shit you know and and it's just like it's just there all the time and Uh and there are way too many people that take it for granted you know what i'm saying so um so um there's there's this thing in where i live in los angeles eagle rock um there is this thing where there is a there is a horde of feral parrots um that lives around here Mm -hmm. like giant green and red birds like like tropical parrots uh-huh. that are just in Los Angeles for no reason. And there are all these theories about how they ended up here. Like there was a sanctuary that closed down and, and they just released the birds or, or, or whatever. Nobody knows how, but it's like, it's like a couple of hundred birds at this point. And uh-huh. um, there was uh, there's a time of year and that happens to be right now where they just bounce around. And so sometimes I'll, sometimes like I walk out my door and on the power lines, like right across the street are there, 120 parrots staring down at me like you know screaming and yapping and um and again that is something magical and something crazy mm-hmm. um and the people around here get used to it and it's like oh are those damn birds again and it's like no no this is like this this is like supernatural almost and i feel like i feel like hawaii is uh uh hawaii is that like all of like everywhere you look there is something like that happening um and so um and so i i wonder what would happen i i there's i would love to move there and live there um um i wonder what would happen if i did that like i i, I don't know if like my head would explode after uh you know after the third week or something like that or if i would settle in and just get used to it and and be like you know oh you know wow another another beautiful sunset and another you know um uh you know um but but great place and i i i love going there i can't wait to take my daughter there you know my daughter is um mm-hmm. she turns five uh in about a month and so she's she's just kind of getting to the place where she could appreciate something like that and so i'm and uh and her friend goes um and so she's already starting to say like you know oh yeah yeah can we go to hawaii can we go to hawaii so mm-hmm. soon <laughs> all right i'm going to wrap this up um any last yeah. words to our listeners no, uh, uh, I, you know, I guess other than check out Suicide Jockeys, uh, it is available at your local comic shop right now. Um, it is, uh, again, a bonkers uh, and meaningful uh, thrill ride. Uh, you will enjoy it. You will have fun. Uh, you will want more. Um, so go check it out and check out Aberrant and Banjax. Uh, written a good couple of books. So um, if you like comics, read them and enjoy them. And then hit me up on Twitter and tell me what you think of them. Um, All right. Um, 
Ryland, you know, again, you know, um, I wish you all the success for Suicide Jockeys. You know, Ryland, again, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for your patience, too. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you for coming on the show. Um, I want to thank Joshua again from SourcePoint Press. Thank you, um, Joshua, for arranging this interview. Thank you very much. And listeners, Suicide Jockeys, number one, is out in stores right now. Now, Suicide Jockeys, number two, and I only could find the, um, the uh, previews code for cover B, and it's the, now correct me if I'm wrong, the Bullet Movie Homage cover, correct? Okay. Yeah, there's yeah, there's a bullet homage for number two, a Top Gun homage for number three, and then a Mr. T serial homage for issue four. So we're 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 throwing 100 miles an hour with the uh, the variant covers this time. So yeah. So Suicide Jockeys comes out uh, number two. It's going to come out in on September 29th, and the previous code for that is J U L two one one nine six one. So um, and now I want to also thank Drew. Drew, thank you very much. Drew's the co-host for the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast. Um, thank you, Drew, for all your hard work in putting this episode together. Thank you very much. Um, and listeners, if you are a new listener to the show, please check out new episodes of Comics for Fun and Profit that comes out every Saturday. Kyle and Drew talk about spec picks for on new releases. And to you, the listeners, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. Until next time, guys. Aloha.